0: Hello and welcome to Dog Days. Today is Sunday, August 8th, 2021. If you wonder what's going on, you are at Topics in Endurance Sports. I'm doing a temporary challenge. Go back to August 1st and that will explain things. My voice is a little off right now. We'll see if I can do this. I'm a a little bit hoarse. Anyway, today I'm gonna talk about carbon dating. And some of this was stolen from HowStuffWorks.com. Cosmic rays enter the Earth's atmosphere in large numbers every day. For example, every person is hit by about half a million cosmic rays every hour. Cosmic rays are high-energy protons, alpha particles, the electrons, and other things all spit out from the sun it is not uncommon for a cosmic ray to collide with an atom in the atmosphere, creating a secondary cosmic ray in the form of an energetic neutron. And for these neutrons to collide with nitrogen atoms, about 80% of the air is nitrogen. So there's a lot of nitrogen. When When the neutron collides, nitrogen 14 turns into carbon 14. And hydrogen atom. This is the little reaction that occurs. So what happens is cosmic rays hit nitrogen 14. They make carbon 14. Carbon 14 is radioactive. It has a half-life of 5,730 years. So this is how we get carbon 14. It's not a primordial isotope, which we talked about yesterday, I think, but it's created all the time in the atmosphere from cosmic rays. So the cosmic Um, The carbon-14 atoms that cosmic rays create combine with oxygen to form carbon dioxide, which plants absorb naturally and incorporate into plant fibers by photosynthesis. Animals and people eat plants and take in carbon-14 as well. So we now have just a tidbit of carbon-14 in all living things. Maybe one in a trillion carbon atoms are carbon-14. The carbon-14 atoms are always decaying, but they're always being replaced by new carbon-14 atoms. At this moment, your body has a certain percentage of radioactive carbon-14 atoms in it. And all living plants and animals have a similar percentage. As soon as a living organism dies, it stops taking in new carbon, which means it no longer takes in carbon-14. The ratio of carbon-12 to carbon-14 at the moment of death is the same as every other living thing, but the carbon-14 decays and is not replaced. The carbon-14 decays with this half-life of 5,730 years, while the amount of carbon-12 remains constant in the dead organism. Thus, over time, the ratio of carbon-12 to carbon-14 in dead things gets bigger and bigger as the amount of carbon-14 gets smaller and smaller. Thus, by looking at the ratio of carbon-12 to carbon-14 in an ancient sample and comparing it to the ratio in a living organism, it is possible to determine the age of a formerly living thing fairly precisely. There you go. That is carbon-14 dating. Note, in 1960, William uh, Willard Libby of the UC uh, Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley got the Nobel Prize for developing this process. That's where I went to grad school. Also, as an aside, it just turns out that today, August 8th, is the birthday of Ernest Lawrence. He was born in 1901 and died in 1958. He was also at UC Berkeley, and he also got a Nobel Prize in physics. He got it for the invention of the cyclotron, which accelerates particles to nearly the speed of light and smashes them together, creating new elements and, yes, new isotopes. He also worked on the famous Manhattan Project. Anyway, because the half-life of carbon-14 is 5,730 years, it is only reliable for dating objects up to about 60,000 years old. After that much time, the amount of carbon-14 in a dead organism is too little to accurately determine. However, the principle of carbon-14 dating applies to other isotopes as well. For example, potassium-40, which just by chance I brought up yesterday, is another radioactive element naturally found in your body and has a half-life of 1.3 billion years. Therefore, you can use potassium-40 dating in the same way you do carbon-14 dating, but you can date things that are much older. And you can also start dating things like rocks you know, things that were never alive. Other useful radioisotopes for radioactive dating include uranium-235, which has a half-life of 704 million years, uranium-238, half-life of 4.5 billion years, thorium-232, half-life 14 billion years, and rubidium-87, half-life 49 billion years. Each of these can be used to date organisms or rocks, over different periods of time. The use of various radioisotopes allows the dating of biological and geological samples with a high degree of accuracy. However, radioisotope dating may be more complicated to use in the future. Why? Because of Seuss effects. Yes, there was a real Dr. Seuss, Austrian chemist, Hans Seuss, who noticed Two things. First, there was a big drop off in the percentage of carbon fourteen in the atmosphere starting around 1850. Anybody have any ideas why? Da, da da da. Okay, it's because of the burning of fossil fuels like coal and then oil, which being ancient have very little carbon-14 in them. So we're burning all this stuff, we're putting in tons of carbon-12 and not putting in carbon-14, thus messing up this normal ratio of carbon-12 to carbon-14. So anything alive in about the last 150 years have had less carbon-14 in them than you would normally expect. And that's gonna mess up future calculations unless it's somehow corrected for. Secondly, there is bomb carbon. These are radioactive elements produced when atomic bombs go off. And we've been doing a lot of atomic bomb testing since the 1940s. So much that the ratio or the amounts of radioactive elements in the atmosphere has been changed. And so, if you're using some of these other elements for radiocarbon dating, you're going to also have to try to correct for this. To summarize, due to the Seuss effect, the percentages of some radioactive isotopes have quickly changed since the mid-1800s and also since the age of nuclear bombs and nuclear energy. Anything that died or was formed during the last 150 years will be harder to date due to the Seuss effect. Talk to you tomorrow.